Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Welcome to another episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. And I am Kenyatta, if you haven't already guessed. And with me again, as always, in our quest to save this wretched, wretched planet <laughs> is Jack. Hi, Jack. Hello. Hi. How are you doing today? I am pretty good. How have you been? I've I've been doing pretty good. Pretty good. I good. Uh, see you finally got a little bit of snow. Yeah. And they're predicting uh, more this weekend so nice more than we well i think in our area i think we got maybe two or three inches so it wasn't bad yeah and most of it is gone at this point but yeah they're talking about another one so it's the the third weekend in a row that we'll might be seeing something so we'll find out yeah we're supposed to get some tomorrow here in oklahoma city we'll uh, we'll also find out yeah yeah january has been a month. <laughs> yeah. It was an event when we had snow days. Heck yeah. Because we would sit there and watch the crawl on the morning news, mm-hmm. crossing our fingers. We'd see it. Yes. Get right back in the bed. That's it. That's yeah. it. For the day. <laughs> inevitably, you'd turn it on right as it, it was, you know, like going to like in, yeah. you know, schools. And you're like, oh my gosh, Midbill, I got to go through the whole feed. <laughs> you got to watch, you know, the commercial, the early morning commercials and the, the soft interest news stories. And you're like, is it coming back on yet? Is it? Is it? I just want to go back to bed. <laughs> and then I'll go play in the snow. So, <laughs> yep. Those were the good old days. I know. <gasps> Quick story. Okay. When I was a wee tot, uh, maybe kindergarten, first grade age, mm-hmm. my dad was stationed up in Syracuse, New York. So upstate New York is notorious for snow. Yeah. So one year it snowed bananas and upstate New York stays ready for snow. So there's, you know, stuff don't close like you think it would. So it snowed some feet and man, mind you, I was a little kid, so it may not have been feet, feet. It just was a lot compared to, (laughs) you know, grade school size me. Anyway, I was convinced we were having school. We're going to school. So <laughs> my mom bundled me up in little coat and mittens and a little backpack. And I met up with all the other kids and the, the roads were cleared off. The sidewalks were cleared. All the snow was pushed off. And it was so high to my little child size eyes. I'm like, how dare they send us to school today? So we're all standing at the bus stop. And then all of a sudden it's boom right in the back of my neck. I was wearing a little knit hat and a little coat, but mm-hmm. no hood on my coat. Some butthole kid snowballed me in the back in the neck right in the sweet spot between the bottom of my hat and my coat it <laughs> hit me hard because it was that hard snow yeah hit me slid down my back underneath <laughs> my sweater and my shirt and everything and i ran home howling it was the worst thing ever <laughs> my mother looked at me like what is wrong with you the kid threw the snowball and she just made me change my shirt and set my tail right back on out to the bus stop. I'm like, you're still going to school. Okay. Mom, if you listen to this, this did happen. It did. <laughs> a snowstorm is the first time I ever heard my dad go on a profanity lace tirade. Mm. And was it 77, 78? The Midwest had this massive blizzard. Multiple feet came in overnight. Mm. And after, I don't know, two or three days, my dad had to go around the back door because the front was a snowdrift and it was just massive snow. So I had mm. to go around the back, spent all day shoveling snow. You know, we'd go do a bit, come in, drink some coffee, go back out. About seven o'clock, he'd finished. He was standing there drinking some uh, coffee, trying to warm up. And he'd even like cleared out under the windows and everything, watching, you know, looking at his work, admiring it like all men do. And the snowplow came by and made this six foot wall of snow at the end of the driveway. And he just unleashed a string of profanity. 
And then he walked over, set his coffee down, and started putting his winter crap back on. <laughs> I'm, I'm so mad for him. I really am. That is the worst. That is the worst. Because there was no way you were getting out of the driveway unless you cleared that out again. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is the worst. Yeah. But, you know, it's the no, fond really. memory of the old man. <laughs> that is a nice one. That is a nice one. Oh yeah. My All right. So I guess we should be getting on to the fitness at hand. Yeah. Or is business at hand? Are we talking uh, WTF or going straight to uh, our person? No, we're gonna we're gonna do our WTF because okay. that is part of the business. So definitely. And I think we both have some some interesting ones today. So yeah, yeah, that is uh, true. All right. So I think our guest actually went in lieu of you. That's last, true. Last time. So I get to start off with these delightful tidbits for the day. Okay. So the newly sworn in Republican Virginia governor, Glenn Youngkin, mm-hmm. had an interview this past Monday on a conservative talk show and stated that he was sending up an email that concerned parents could send their um, comments to, to report any public school teachers they found they believe to be, quote, behaving objectionably. And the governor goes on to say, we're asking for folks to send us reports and observations that they have that will help us be aware of things like privilege bingo, be aware of their child being denied their rights that parents have in Virginia. And we're going to make sure we catalog it all. This gives us a great insight into what's happening at a school level, and that gives us further ability to make sure we're rooting it out. And Governor Youngkin is referring particularly to what he calls divisive subjects. And can I guess? Can I make a guess? Absolutely. Is it start with critical and end with race theory? Correct. Yay! (laughs) You win the prize. (laughs) And again... Why it doesn't make sense here, it has never made sense in all the states that have objections to critical race theory in that it has not been and will never be taught at the grade school level. Yeah. And this was part of the platform he ran on. And this is what got him into office is uh, making these promises to parents that they would their children would not be forced to right. learn these kind of divisive things. But he's actually setting up the email an email to allow parents to snitch on teachers if they feel like the teachers are teaching their kids divisive subjects, snitches. I just get tired of this. That's so Mm -hmm. authoritarian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the kind of crap that happens in, you know, fascist and communist countries and countries with dictators. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and quite honestly, for those... And those folks, when I say those folks, I mean me. For those folks that did not vote for him, we saw this a coming. Oh, and he yeah. wasted, he wasted no time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's- so if he if he's starting off and he hasn't even been office in office a month and he's starting off like this, I, I can't imagine how how much more ridiculous it's going to be before he, he ends his first term. So he'll probably be passing that uh same thing that's in Florida that white people shouldn't have their feelings hurt by history mm-hmm. or something like that. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the part two of my WTF is DeSantos and his gang of thugs mm-hmm. down there in Florida with the um, yes, don't offend or hurt the feelings of sensitive white folks. Oh. And it's funny because I'm looking at an article that starts off with Republicans always claiming liberals are easily triggered and are snowflakes mm-hmm. and are sensitive, but we've got this Republican governor and his people trying to pass this bill mm-hmm. that bans people from making white people uncomfortable when uh, training, when doing training or lessons about discrimination. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You, you should be uncomfortable mm-hmm. so you can ensure it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. At least that's my fucking, my thinking. I mean, and it's, you know, it's a feasible thought for, you know, logical people. This right. is not logical. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah, this is not logical at all. I know. 
Yeah. So I'm... like basically you could you could literally say just about anything. And if somebody's standing nearby, or let's say you're a trainer and you're giving, you know, a course on diversity and inclusion, and you say this thing which offends one person out of 20, they could really go to HR and be like, I felt so uncomfortable. You know, yeah. and all sorts of things could start getting drummed up just because somebody felt uncomfortable. And yeah, this is- you, being uncomfortable isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know what I mean? Right. Sometimes and being uncomfortable leads to positive results. But the thing of it is, there's so many people who do not even want to get to that point. I know. It's it's too uncomfortable to be uncomfortable, if that makes yeah. any sense. No, it does. So um, the bill reads yeah. in part... And this is this wording is nonsense. Quote, an individual by virtue or his or her race or sex does not bear responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of the same race or sex. An individual should not be made to feel discomfort, guilt, anguish or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race. I mean, nonsense. Well, it is true. You aren't responsible for what was done in the past. That doesn't mean you can't. Look at something and be like, oh, my God, that was awful. I can't believe that happened. We need to ensure this never happens again. Yep. And if you don't teach it, you can't ensure that. But then again, with the authoritarian bent the Republican Party is taking, that might be why they don't want to teach it. Mm -hmm. And um, they apparently have nicknamed this bill, which is in its first stages of approval down there in Florida. They have nicknamed it the Stop Woke Act. Of course. And doubling back to our ep- our episode uh, a couple episodes ago, we we're talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, DeSantos trotted out his ignorance mm-hmm. and quoted MLK mm-hmm. by saying MLK would approve banning teaching this kind of thing in the classroom. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a variant MLK. Yeah. On an alternative yeah. planet, yeah. you know, somewhere that we, we haven't been able to access yet. So, yeah. yeah, no. And related news to that bill is the don't say gay bill. That's also brewing down there in Florida. I hadn't heard of that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which would effectively stop teachers from teaching anything positive about the LGBTQ plus community. Well, to, to be more specific, and I'm reading here, it would ban classroom discussions about sexual orientation and gender identity in schools, erasing LGBTQ identity, history, and culture, as well as LGBTQ students themselves. And reading some related things to this piece of news, it was reported that there's a website out there called the Trevor Project, and apparently it looks like a very good resource for kids and young adults that are going through um, coming out and transitioning and things like that and offers resources and support and things like that. They did a survey last year on uh, mental health status of those kids in the community. And they reported that 42% of LGBTQ youth seriously consider attempting suicide. Can you imagine what would happen if this bill passes? It's only going to get worse. And kids in class don't feel safe going to their teachers to talk about feelings they may have, to ask that they be referred to in their preferred pronoun. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Can you? I'm just like all of that, all of that combined. It's just like it's sickening. It's and it's just like you said. It's it's totalitarian. I'm saying totalitarian. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it smells like. It's coming to. They're trying real hard. Yeah. Yeah. To push it to this. Like, we're going to tell you what you think, regardless yeah. if you like it or not. And it's just, it's pushing back decades of progress, decades. <sighs> Maybe even more. Yeah. <laughs> um, my first thought, Heather and I were talking about this the other day in mm-hmm. sort of just how crazy the world is and CRT and stuff like that. And I was, I said, maybe. America's going through like, you know, when you're completely redoing and cleaning a bedroom and you have to dump everything in the middle of the room and make a giant mess to clean it up. 
maybe that's what America's going through right now. Maybe we're dumping all the crap in the middle of the floor and we're going to get to clean it up and have a nice clean room. Maybe, but I need it. I need to hurry up and get to the part where it's okay. Yes. Because (laughs) right now, (laughs) yeah, right now, no. And just (laughs) speaking of quotes, did you see that uh, the other day, Donald Trump said, it's not who votes, it's who's counting the votes. Do you know who originally said that? Who? Oh, a little fella named Joseph Stalin. That shouldn't surprise me at all. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Can, can someone get the case together against him and his people and make that go away? <laughs> I hope so. Because <clears throat> that, that, so. that attorney general up in New York, she is putting in work. Mm-hmm. She is putting, I need her to get them. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sick of him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Okay. So I already have an idea about your WTF, but yeah, I need to hear it again anyway. So <laughs> it's, it's become an old hat. Uh, once again, it involves Tucker Carlson. And why the hell is this man so upset over M&Ms taking the green M&Ms from wearing her boots to sneakers, <clears throat> taking away her sexiness? I mean, really? Tucker, you are aware that it's a, you know, it's a cartoon character of an M&M. It doesn't mean anything. Society is in no way affected, good or bad, by the footwear of a cartoon M&M. I, I, I'm, from what I understand, his concern is with making them ambiguous and not very sexy. And he wouldn't want to take it out for a drink. First of all. I can't think of a candy on earth that wants to go out for a drink with Tucker Carlson. Period. Right. <laughs> okay. Not even uh uh what's that horrible little crunchy candy with the peanut butter or whatever in the middle? I can't even think of it now. Butterfingers? No. Oh. Chico sticks. Oh yeah. Not even Chico sticks. <laughs> even those would turn them down. <laughs> they would. I'm like, are you no, I'm gonna go ahead and wait for this butterfinger. Like why why is that a concern why did he why did he waste airtime to even discuss something like that like he i guess he's convinced that everybody that's not like him has an agenda to make everybody like him not like him i don't know if it's just really rooted in fear or hard drugs or both i don't he just even for an ultra conservative, he makes no sense now. Is he addicted to fentanyl or something? I something. Don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, if they made the yellow M&M smarter, would that piss him off? You know, the yellow one is sort of dumb. Which one was the one that wore the glasses? Was it the green M&M? I think I mean, so. I, he Maybe. probably doesn't like her either. I just... Was there, it, it was one of the other ones that was wearing glasses for a while. He probably yeah. didn't like her. Yeah. But you're you mean to tell me you really don't like the idea that a candy company has defeminized its cartoon character representation? Yeah. You're really, you're really saying that's an issue that people need to be worried about. And whatever you do, don't post about it on Facebook because <laughs> I made that mistake today, and quite the argument came from that. That was so strange. And it ended up not even really being about the M&M. It was something else someone said. Yeah. Like every 10 minutes, I'm getting the thing of this argument. And it's like, okay, guys, it was funny at first, but let's grow up. This is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, you just kind of put a period on it and keep it moving. But yeah, when I when I saw when I first saw that meme about making the white M and M's, I hollered. <laughs> I hollered. I was like, "That's perfect." Yeah, hey, let me uh, let me pull it up and I'll read it real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we go. Hang on. Wow, we've uh, texted quite a bit since you sent me that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mars has relented and will now add a Tucker Carlson M&M. They're all white, extra bitter, and will melt down when mixed with multicolored M&Ms. 
I mean, collectively, the internet can be very clever. And that's what I love about it. And then, you know, people have opinions and that's what I hate. But that's something else altogether. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's that is a that is a special man. And I don't I don't I don't know. I live in fear and sick anticipation of what he'll come up with next. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I understand. I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess we should move on. Yes. To our actual topic. But before we do, I wanted to make like a clarification from uh, last week's episode of something I said. As I was editing, I realized, you know, that didn't come out the way that I was intending for it to come out. So I just wanted to touch on that real quick. What I was trying to say is my, you know, white ultra conservative friends always seem to get upset or mad or become incredibly dismissive of when they hear like a black person say, we have to do the talk, we have to do this. And what I was trying to say is you can't be dismissive of that when it's coming from the whole community. It's not a made up thing, you know, against white people, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Mm -hmm. You can't have people live in Washington saying the same thing that people in Alabama, upstate New York, in Missouri are saying. It's not like there's a convention going on with talking points. So what I was trying to say is, as a, you know, as a white person, when you hear that, take it seriously because it means it's happening. Mm-hmm. Don't be dismissive and act like it's you know, a made-up thing against white people. It's not. It's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I wanted to say, but I I was completely inelegant in the way I phrased that in the moment. So I wanted to clarify on that. So I hope I've made myself clearer. I mean, I got it, but I'm I'm sure for the benefit of those listening, yes, I'm I'm sure it was. And we appreciate it. We do. Yeah, that was that was it. Yeah. So I was listening. I thought that didn't come out the way I wanted it to. I got you. I got you though. So but before you start, can I give a do can I do like a little a little bitty intro to our sure. what we're doing here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I'm 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 sorry if I jumped the gun. I wasn't no, sure, fine. but okay. So what we're gonna um talk about for the uh month of February is as most people know, um Black History Month is celebrated during the month of February, the shortest month on the calendar. Mm-hmm. But I digress. Um what Jack and me will be doing for each episode during the month of February is focusing or showcasing a lesser known black figure that has in some way impacted history because black history is American history. So um, each episode, one of us will um, do our research and go ahead and talk to the other in our audience about a particular uh, figure in American history and how they have contributed. So, Yes. This episode, Jack, will be starting out, mm-hmm. and I will let him take it from here. Yes, thank you. I am excited to talk about this person. It's going to involve quite a bit of reading on my part. Um, the thing that's cool, I've since found out since I picked this person that apparently Paramount Network is making a TV show about him. He's going to be introduced on the spinoff of Yellowstone. What is it? The prequel 1879 or whatever. 1883. Or that. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be uh, introduced in that show. And then apparently they're going to do a TV series about him, which is awesome because this man led a life worthy of a TV show. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking uh, forward to it. And once they've released all the episodes, I'll go sign up for my free month of Paramount Network and watch them all. Correct. Not that I'm telling you to do that. Well, it's too late for me. I've been (laughs) at Paramount for like a year. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, all of that to say that the person I'm talking about is a man named Bass Reeves. Honestly, it really is a sin that when you're talking about history and the fact that he's hasn't really been mentioned until lately, last five or six years, is kind of a tragedy. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to start reading, 
And uh, if there's anything you want to talk about or whatever, as I'm reading, just stop me so we can talk about it. Okay. Okay. All right. So Bass Reeves was born to slave parents in 1838 in Crawford County, Arkansas. He would become the first black U.S. deputy marshal west of the Mississippi River and one of the greatest frontier heroes in our nation's histories. He was owned by a man, which I hate saying that, but mm. named William Reeves, a farmer and politician. Bass took his, the surname of his owner, like other slaves did at the time, and his first name came from his grandfather, Bass Washington. Um, Bass was a tall young man at 6'2". He had good manners and apparently a great sense of humor. And George Reeves, who was William's son, later made him his valet, bodyguard, and personal companion. And when the Civil War broke out, oh, I forgot to mention, William Reeves moved his entire household, family, everything to Texas, which is why this next statement is important. When the Civil War broke out, Texas sided with the Confederacy, as we know, and George Reeves went into battle and he took Bass with him. And it was during the, these years of the Civil War that Bass parted company from Reeves. And <laughs> there are a couple conflicting stories. Some say it was because Bass beat up George after a dispute in a card game. And others believe that Bass had heard too much about the freeing of the slaves and ran away. It doesn't matter because he fled to the Indian Territory, which was at the time sort of a, like a wild land. It was full of, when I mean wild, like typical state government type stuff wasn't, wasn't set up there. And it was kind of really heavy frontier at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, he took refuge with the Seminole, Cherokee, and Creek Indians, and he um, learned their customs, languages, and tracking skills. And he also honed his firearm skills, becoming very quick and accurate with the pistol to the point to where he was banned from competitive shooting uh, turkey shoots because he always won. <laughs> so that's pretty impressive shot for anyone. You know, they don't want you to compete. Especially shooting turkeys. I mean, come on. Turkeys yeah. are, <laughs> they're chaotic. <That's laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's pretty impressive. It is. So Bass was freed by the Emancipation Pro Proclamation in 1863, and he was no longer a fugitive. So he left the Indian, ter Indian Territory and bought some land near Van Buren, Arkansas, where he became a successful farmer and rancher. A year later, he married Nellie Jenny from Texas and immediately began to have a family. Apparently, immediately, because he had 10 children, five girls and five boys, and they lived happily on the farm. And apparently, he was quite a successful farmer. Hmm. And oral history states that it was during this time that he also served as a scout for the U.S. deputy marshals when they would go to the Indian Territory to find criminals or whatever at the time. And apparently he was contented as a farmer when the West Federal Western District Court was moved to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and Judge Isaac C. Parker was appointed on May 10th, 1875. Judge Parker is quite famous on his own. He's been in uh, character in multiple multiple movies, and he was known as the Hanging Judge. And Indian Territory was part of his district. And so one of his first acts was to appoint U.S. Marshal James F. Fagan as head of some 200 deputies he was then told to hire. And Fagan had heard of Bass Reeves' significant, significant knowledge of the area, and as well as his ability to speak several tribal languages. So he recruited him to be a deputy. And it was while working with um, these other lawmen that, I'm sorry, there were other lawmen he worked with that also became legendary, such as a guy named Heck Thomas and Bud Ledbetter. And Reeves then began to ride the Oklahoma Range in search of outlaws, covering uh, roughly 70, 75,000 square miles during his time, um, which is pretty impressive. That is. And, yeah. Especially when there's nothing to look at. That's true. Especially then, because the central yeah. part of Oklahoma had no trees because they didn't get planted until the 30s. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. 
And so depending on who he's looking for, he would go to Fort Smith, but he also always had with him a wagon, a cook and Native American posse men. I'm, a, I'm not sure what legal status they had. It just said that that's what he had. And he would ride to Fort Reno, Fort Sill, and Adarco, which is oftentimes round trips of more than 800 miles. Hmm. And this is really kind of cool and impressive. Though Reeves could not read or write, it did not curb his effectiveness in bringing back the criminals. Before he headed out, he would have someone read him the warrants, and he would memorize the contents and which warrant was which. When asked to produce a warrant, he never failed to pick out the correct one. And apparently, he was an imposing figure, always riding on a large white stallion. That's important for later. And he began to earn a reputation for his courage and success at bringing in or killing many desperados of the territory. I love he, that word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, he always wore a large hat. And this is also in the research, so I had to keep it in. Reeves was usually a spiffy dresser with his boots always being polished to a gleaming shine. And he was known for his politeness and courteous manner. However, when the purpose served him, he was a master of disguises and often util uh, utilized aliases. Sometimes he was a cowboy, a farmer, a gunslinger, or even an outlaw himself. And he always wore two Colt pistols, but forward for a fast draw. He was amb ambidextrous, and as we heard earlier, rarely missed. And the tales of his captures are legendary. They're filled with intrigue, imagination, and courage. Reese was once pursuing two outlaws in the Red River Valley near Texas. On one such occasion, he had a posse, and Reeves and the other men set up camp 28 miles from where the two were thought to be hiding in their mother's home. After studying the train and making a plan, he soon disguised himself as a tramp, hiding the tools of the trade, handcuffs, pistols, and a badge under his coat. I'm assuming when they say tramp, they mean more like hobo-type tramp yeah. and not woman of the night type tramp. <laughs> I don't know if that, that term for that definition was in. Right. In <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I caught the idea about hobos, but let me, let me just have you pause for a second. Okay. Yeah. I just, cause I've, I've heard of him before, but not to this extent. And it blows my mind that he was able to memorize the details of each warrant. Like that's, that's yeah. crazy to me because, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's surprising. It doesn't surprise me. And it's crazy that for what he lacked, he made up for it in different ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine if he had had, formal, you know, sort of education. a typical education. Yeah. He would have been 10 times more formidable, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, I agree. And, and just this, this is just observation. I'm I'm guessing that out of the 200 deputies, right? Mm -hmm. He might have been one one of the only black, probably, uh, and he probably would have thrown off a lot of people that he came to hunt down. So I think yeah. it would probably been easy to disguise himself as like a hobo or a farmer or something common to well, disarm, yeah. yeah, to disarm the people that he was coming after. I just find that like amazing. Because like he he gets all the props from me. <laughs> well, does. let's be honest. At the time, there probably weren't a lot of lawmen that were black, mm -hmm. so that was unexpected. Yes, and um, just sort of bring back who the Judge Parker was. If you've ever seen the uh, Rooster Cogburn movies, I can't. There's two of them. John Wayne played one, and one came out about five years ago with the dude, which uh, Bo Bridges. And you talking uh, about True Grit? Huh? You're about True Grit or no? Yeah. Is it yeah, true okay. Um, anyway, he was a lawman, Rooster Cogburn, and he worked for Judge Parker. Um, just hit me. <laughs> but I think it, yeah, I think that is what you're talking about. Because it was oh I think it is true grit. Yes. I'm yes, I'm sure exactly if we're right. wrong. It is. It is. I'm sure if we're wrong. Someone will correct us on our Facebook page. We are right. And we're going to write this down. Note the date and the time. We are right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and they did a remake in 2010. 
Yes, with Jeff yeah. Bridges as uh, Rooster oh, Cogburn. Yes. Okay. And yeah. uh, wrong Bridges. Uh, I mean, you know, and they also, they also, and I've mentioned this before. If you've been listening to us, the always lovable Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I enjoyed that. That was a very good, I didn't, I don't enjoy John Wayne. So I never saw the original, but mm-hmm. this, this remake was top notch and I'm not even a Western fan, but this was yeah. top notch. So in the original, uh, the man Damon character was played by country music star, Glenn Campbell. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. But I just, I love the joke that Matt Damon has in the remake where he said, did the sun get in your eyes? I mean, your eye. Oh, I fell over. It was. Yeah. You have to watch the movie to yeah. know what I'm talking about. But it's. Yeah. If you if you like good movies, period, that's one to watch. That's my plug. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Getting back to it. Um, <laughs> dressed as a tramp with handcuffs, pistol, badge under his clothes, he set out on foot and arrived at the house wearing crappy looking clothes. He was in disguise. Mm-hmm. Upon arriving at the home, he told. Uh, tell to the woman who answered the door that his feet were were aching after having been pursued by a posse who had put the three bullet holes in his hat. After asking for a bite to eat, she invited him in. Invited him in, and while he was eating, she began to tell him of her two outlaw sons, suggesting that the three of them should join forces. Faking weariness, she consented him to, to let him stay a while longer. As the sun was setting. Uh, Reeves heard a sharp whistle coming from beyond the house and the woman went outside and responded with an answering whistle. Before long, two riders rode up to the house, talking at length with her outside. The three of them then came outside or came inside and she introduced her son to Reeves. After discussing their various crimes, the trio agreed that joining up would be a good idea. Bunking down in the same room, Reeves watched the pair carefully as they drifted off to sleep. And when they were snoring deeply, handcuffed the pair without waking them. When the early morning approached, he kicked the boys awake and marched them out the door, followed for the first three miles by their mother, who cursed Reeves the entire time. Speaking of profanity lace tirades, he marched the pair the full 28 miles to camp where the posse men were waiting. And within days, the outlaws were delivered to the authorities and Bass collected a $5,000 reward. That was probably a considerable reward for that time considerable yes yeah and just i can just imagine moms though (laughs) yeah (laughs) she Mm. was not pleased at all (laughs) and uh one of the highlights of reeve's career was apprehending a notorious outlaw named bob dozer he was known as a jack of all trades when it came to committing crimes as they covered a wide range from cattle and horse wrestling to holding up banks, stores, and stagecoaches to murders and land swindles. And it turned out that Dozer had eluded Reeves for several months months until the lawmen tracked him down in the Cherokee Nation. After re- refusing to surrender, Reeves killed Dozer in an accompanying gunfight on December 20th, 1878. And... I have no idea the context of anything that what I'm about to read, but it's, in my opinion, pretty important. In 1887, Reeves was charged with murdering a posse cook. Like the many outlaws he had arrested, he was tried before Judge Isaac Parker. He was represented by United States Attorney W.H.H. Clayton, who was a colleague and a friend. And in the end, Reeves was acquitted. In 1889, after Reeves was assigned to Paris, Texas, he went after the Tom Story gang of horse thieves, and he waited along the route that the gang was known to have used, surprised him with the arrest warrant. The outlaw panicked, drew his gun, but Reeves was faster and shot him dead, and the rest of the gang was so scared they disbanded and were never heard from again, (laughs) which is kind of cool. That's, yeah, that's, they're like, nah, never mind. Nope, nope, nope. We pass. <laughs> I <Yeah>. love it. <laughs> and the reason that I was stating, I don't know if I believe the charge of shooting the cook is kind of uh, what I'm about to get to. Mm-hmm. Well, real quick, in 1896, Reeves' first wife died in Fort Smith, and then the following year, he was transferred to the Muscogee Federal Court in Indian Territory. And in 1900, he married for the second time to a woman named Winnie Sumter. And this is that part where it kind of makes me question the murder charge. 
Though tales of Reeves' heroics are many and varied, the toughest manhunt for the lawman was hunting down his own son in 1902. After having delivered two prisoners to U.S. Marshal Leo Bennett in Muskogee, Oklahoma, he arrived at bad news. His own son, Benny, had been charged with murder after killing his wife in a fit of jealousy. Though the warrant had been lying on Bennett's desk for two days, the other deputies were reluctant to take it. And though Revs was shaken, he demanded to accept the responsibility for finding his son. Two weeks later, Reeves returned to Muskogee with his son in tow and turned him over to Marshall Bennett. His son was tried, convicted to life in prison, and sent to Kansas's uh, Leavenworth Penitentiary. And then later, with a citizen's petition and a perfect prison record, uh, Benny Reeves was pardoned and lived the rest of his life as a model citizen. If you're if you're willing to do that, you know, if your moral character is like that, I just can't see him randomly shooting someone that worked for him, like the cook, you know, when he was going out on looking for bad guys. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, especially considering, you know, who he, he who he who he was described to be and what you I guess you would call his work ethic up until yeah. that point. You yeah. Know? Um, I, I which can't is see probably that. why he was acquitted. Yeah, it almost feels like, you know, somebody set him up. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It huh. it just seems out of character all around. And then when you hear what he, you know, that he was went after his own son. Yeah. That's And I, uh, I can't imagine anything more I don't I can't even think of a word. I mean more more detrimental than having even though that's your flesh and but you're you're determined to do the right thing. That's I can't yeah. imagine making that decision. And I'm sure, you know, he had to think about it, but maybe not for long because, and, you know, in that case, as far as he can, he was concerned, I suppose the law is the law is the law. So, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And that's why I just can't see him sh- randomly shooting the guy because he burnt some beans. Yeah. No, that doesn't It sound like almost like someone involved, you know, involved, maybe one of the mm-hmm. other deputies or somebody had some grudge and, and decided yeah. they wanted to set him up or some such thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And we'll probably never will. Mm-mm. I mean, unless, you know, we get to find out those kinds of things with this, this series that they're talking about setting up. I would love to see this story fleshed out. Well, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we will. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And this quote that I'm about to read from the Oklahoma city weekly times journal Uh, That's a paper that no longer exists, but it says that Reeves was never known to show the slightest of excitement under any circumstance. He does not know what fear is. Hmm. So that's why I'm saying though, if he never showed excitement, I can't see him losing his temper and shooting somebody that he probably looked at as being under his employ. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, Again, like alluding back to, you know, how he conducted himself when he went on jobs, the fact that he was able to pass himself off as somebody else and fool people Mm -hmm. like that takes a tremendous amount of willpower and self-control not to break cover. I can't like there's just something about the rest of his story that doesn't like you said, it doesn't line up with him murdering somebody. Yeah, it just sticks out as odd. Yeah. And I, it wouldn't surprise, it doesn't surprise me at all to think that somebody set him up. I mean, just for the fact yeah. that not just because he was black, but that he was very successful at what he was doing, you know, I yeah, mean, that's just what, being that's, successful is enough to cause jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> you and, know, if you're the don't let it best be a black deputy, guy, you know, yeah. yeah. Like, how dare he? Yeah. The audacity. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, we're getting sort of close to the end here. In 1907, state agencies assumed law enforcement because Oklahoma became a state and Reeves' duties as a deputy marshal came to an end. So Bass took a job as a patrolman with the Muskogee, Oklahoma Police Department. And during two years that he served in that capacity, there were reportedly no crimes on his beat. Reeves was diagnosed with Bright's disease, which I'm not sure what that is, but that finally ended his career when he took to his sickbed in 1909. And he died on January 12th, 1910. And he was buried at the agency cemetery at Muskogee, Oklahoma. But the exact location of his grave is unknown. And according to find a grave, it might be on private property and unmarked. 
Hmm. And at the time, there was a lengthy and glowing obituary for this universally respected man and described him as absolutely fearless and knowing no master but duty, which, considering how he started out life, that's a great thing to say about him. I don't know if I'm wording it right. But. No, you're you know you are. I, I get you. It's 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 almost as it's um and I hate to put it like this, but sometimes the, the story of success becomes that just much more illustrious when you consider the depths that yeah. someone may have had to come up through to get there. So yeah, yeah, I see exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um over his 35 years that Bass served as a deputy United States Marshal, he earned his place in history by being one of the most effective lawmen in Indian Territory, bringing in more than 3,000 outlaws to help tame the territory. He killed 14 men during his time in service. That's all? But he, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That was like, that's all? That sounded weird. But <laughs> Well, that tells you how good he was, though, if yeah, you sort of think about that to. time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that means huh. that he went after 3,014. <laughs> and, and brought them all back. <laughs> Still brave. <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and it was Reeves always said that he never shot a man when it was not necessary for him to do so in the discharge of his duty to save his own life. Mm. Which, once again, that quote, absolutely fearless and knowing no master but duty. It sounds like duty was important to him. Like yeah, on his at a core level, hmm. it it really does, and I I like I said I love it. They're like from top to bottom, I love the story. Yeah, and here's the cool part. Here's where the white horse comes in uh, that I mentioned earlier that it would come in later. Mm-hmm. There's a, a an argument amongst historians, and this is sort of weird, but even former Fox News host Bill O'Reilly believes this is the case. What? Yeah, that Bass Reeves is the basis for the now classic radio and later television series, The Lone Ranger, mm-hmm. with the white horse being one of the similarities, the getting in disguise to, you know, catch bad guys. So, you know, I could I could see why people argue that. And it's probably true. I believe it. Yeah. And as, as much as, you know. Folks like to argue these things, especially when we talk about the origin, the or the origins of certain things coming from a minority group. I can see, you know, that that alone is the basis for argument for some people. Yeah. Scholarly or not, but I believe it. Yeah. And most of this information came from Kathy Weiser Alexander from a website called Legends of America but also from the Oklahoma Historical Society website. Nice. Very so, nice. I like yeah. that. I like that uh, That summary. That was very good. That's what I'm saying. That dude. Yeah. He's badass. We just going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> he was. Badass. He probably, if you were to talk to him now, he'd be like, oh, I wasn't that important. I was just doing my job. I have a feeling, yeah, he would probably take that position. I really do. And it's like I said, it's 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 incredible that for that's just one story out of a thousand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and like I said, we'll touch on, you know, four of them over the course of the month. But when you think about all the unsung people that we probably won't find anything on Google for that have have made a contribution to this country in one way or the other, it's 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 amazing. And I, I, I love hearing stories like this. I really do. I enjoy it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Excellent. I enjoyed looking it up. Because I am the way I am, I looked up Bright's disease. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It is a term that's no longer used, but it's actually called uh, acute or chronic nephritis. And it is kidney disease caused by toxins, which causes high blood pressure and heart disease. Huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. As soon as you said, I was like, what is that? <laughs> no, that's perfect. That ties in perfectly for what, you know, mm-hmm. I probably should have looked that up before. So thank you. <laughs> that's okay. Cause one way or the other, I was going to, I was going to find out. <laughs> yeah. And just from, I mean, I know this is probably like a half hour summary or whatever. You can imagine there's enough stuff that happened in that man's life that 
a TV show is definitely warranted <laughs> and they will have a lot of material. Oh yeah. Cause they're going to have a whole crew of people mm-hmm. on research alone. Yep. You can, you know that for sure. You know, they got people crawling over the internet. They got people, people right now going to, you know, the different places that he served at as far as when he was employed, things like that, probably going to where he lived at and things of that nature. I'm, I'm getting, if they, if they do their job right with historical figures, because I've seen some bad movies and TV mm-hmm. shows and I'm seeing some really good ones. You can tell the ones that the makers of it did their research. And I hope they do him the, the honor of doing that. Yeah. I haven't watched Yellowstone, but apparently it's a fantastic show. Well-written. I heard that it is. And I would assume the prequel series probably is too. So I would imagine that it's probably going to be well-made. Now I have to go watch Yellowstone. That's just (laughs) one more show on my list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, that's okay. Make you have to do another marathon. Darn. (laughs) (laughs) Right when I knocked off two different series over the weekend and now I'm putting another one on the list. So, yeah. (laughs) But that's okay. As long as it's good... Good entertainment is good entertainment. So, yeah, yeah, there's that. But that was, I like that recap. That was really nice. And, and it was, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you said earlier um, that, you know, Black History Month is in February and it's the shortest month. I actually know kind of why. Apparently, it started out as Black History Week and it was mm-hmm. in February because at the time there was like, nothing else sort of around February. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, like an empty time on the calendar. Mm-hmm. And when it started, people picked this week in February because they felt that it would create the most focus on it. Mm. And then after the week, it expanded to a month. Hmm. Okay. I, I can kind of get that sort of like not releasing two blockbuster movies on the same weekend. Right. Yeah. Huh. I get that. That makes that doesn't mean I, I like it all together, but I get it. Yeah. But I, I stand by it and I know you do too. It's already all American history anyway. Mm-hmm. So yes. I, am, <laughs> I imagine they didn't want to do the uh press release of we're moving it to August. <laughs> Can you imagine the commotion? <laughs> right. <laughs> but yes, that makes sense. That does yeah. make sense. But yes, I, I'm I'm already just from that. I'm already excited for the rest of our series. So yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm really excited for the next person I'm going to talk about, Mm -hmm. but I'm having some issues finding as much information on this person as I did on Bass Reeves, but it's somebody who I, I feels even if it's only 10 minutes worth of information is worth talking about. Which is good. And and that tells you something that, I mean, over the years, and, and I, you know, I kind of touched on it a second ago, how, you know, you've got people debating to this day about whether or not Bass Reeves was the inspiration for the Long Ranger. I, I find when you, when you have someone in that's a notable historical figure, whatever part of society they may mm-hmm. have contributed to, whether it's political or social or artistic or what have you, a lot of times, if they're not already well known, the lesser known they are, the less stuff you'll find. And I, I, I believe mm. it's, it's, it's just like the erasure of, mm. of, you know, black people's contributions to this country. I, that's, that's, that usually, that's usually how I, I feel about it. And you can even take, you know, I think a prime example was, you know, we were talking about MLK and just with the, the few examples that we touched on in that episode, how people will have their own interpretations mm-hmm. of, you know, these, these figures, life stories and things like that, and try to give credit for something they've done to someone else or yeah. to try to twist their actions or their contributions into something else. And I mm-hmm. think, unfortunately, that tends to happen a lot with yeah. lesser known figures that it's, it's, it's troubling to find stuff on the Internet. You might find it in books, mm-hmm. <laughs> books, but <laughs> yeah, it, it, sometimes it's tough to find stuff like that on the Internet. And in this case, I think some of it has to do with the fact that he died relatively young. Mm -hmm. And some of it also is the time frame and what it was he was doing. Mm, Okay. I'm not not saying, you know, other things didn't happen. I just don't think 
there was a lot sort of recorded about his life. Hmm. Okay. But, and I mean, and that's and that's that that probably well always um, contributed to how much is available about him too. I agree. Sometimes that unfortunately was the case. It wasn't what they contribute wasn't important. They just didn't have, you know, what we consider a long enough lifespan to, yeah, to do everything they might have done otherwise. Yeah, in the multiverse, this person probably became a big deal on a different <laughs> earth. Yes. Oh boy, Marvel. So, Anywho, <laughs> yeah, but uh, and, yeah, I'm excited to hear about your next one, and I'm looking forward to um, who you're going to talk about as well. I am too, because I've I've already um, did a little profile on this person for um, a work project last year, and oh. I'd already heard of this person beforehand. But the more research that I did, the more impressive and astounding their story was so I'm, I'm excited to present that so yes i think from this episode i think we're getting off to a good start so a very Thank good you. start so yes yes indeed and mm, before i forget i have to put in my pop culture moment i had heard about bass reeves years ago like real limited information mm-hmm. not nearly as extensive as what you uh presented today but I know we were talking, it was probably offline um, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the the TV series based on the graphic novel Watchmen. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you say he was mentioned in Watchmen? He was um, in in the TV series, which was uh, came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. 2019. Which makes sense because it took place in Tulsa. Yes. Which um, would have been Indian territory. So it would make sense that Black Re- or Black Bass Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we sort of said black so many times this episode <laughs> that my brain is fried. Um, so that would make sense that he would be somebody that even in a fictional history, they would want to include. Mm-hmm. And it was the mention of it, him in particular was it was brief. But it came in the very first episode of the series, which did an amazing uh, fictional interpretation of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Yes. So it happened like some of the characters in the show are in a movie theater and they're watching a movie about Bass Reeves. Okay. So that was the first time that was the first time I had seen him and the Race Massacre depicted in any kind of fictional Mm -hmm. universe of any sort. No movies before no, no and not no movies no television series besides the random documentary i had never seen it covered so extensively in um a fictional tv show and then that blew my mind to see him mentioned and then to see you know their depiction of that particular tragedy that was and put a pin on that mention guys mm-hmm. just know that i said this so i'll say nothing more Okay, so. All right, let me, just real quick before we go, somebody told me that a couple years ago, a movie about Bass Reeves came out. Let me see if I can find it on IMDb. There was a movie called Bass Reeves that came out in 2010, and James A. House played Bass Reeves. Uh, Otherwise, it's just a podcast, and there was... Uh, episode on a TV show called Gunslingers about him that came mm-hmm. out in 2015. Uh, the title of that episode was Bass Reeves, The Real Lone Ranger. And then it has on here Untitled Bass Reeves Project, which is probably the one we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then there, it looks like, is that a documentary? It's in post-production due out September 26, 2022. TV show that or documentary that's going to be called In Search of Bass Reeves. So it really sounds like this important uh, historical person is about to become well known. Yes. And just to add to what you found, and you said movie and it rang a bell in my head, that actually makes two fictional movies because I remember seeing, and I didn't get a chance to, to, to watch it before it came off of the streaming service, but there's one from 2019 called hell on the border. Okay. It doesn't have any names I recognize, but if it comes back around, I'm definitely going to catch that one. I'm going to try to fit it in too. Mm-hmm. See if I can't uh, 
pull up that movie from 2010 as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. But, but yes, so for our um, beloved and dedicated audience, we hope that you've learned something today. I know I did. Mm-hmm. I know Jack did because we always like learning when we do our research. So mm-hmm. we hope you enjoyed it. And we hope you keep tuning in with us uh, for the rest of the month and beyond as we cover more historical figures. So, yep. Yeah. So everybody have a good week. Hope everything goes great for you. Yep. Kenyatta, obviously we'll be in touch. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We always are. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I guess we'll catch everybody on the next one. Bye everyone. Thanks for tuning in. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com, slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.